that in the last days, perilous times will come. That's my subject this morning, perilous times. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and thankful unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despised of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep in into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away from dearest lust. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs was also. Praise the name of Jesus. But you have carefully followed my doctrine. Is that right? Of life, purpose, faith, love, suffering, love, perseverance. And you could read the entire book, the verse, and we won't preach a little bit on that this morning. Verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, we thank you for this privilege to be in your presence this morning. Lord, we worship you as our King of kings and our Lord of lords. We pray that you will just inspire this word today and bless us as we study and preach and teach and worship. Oh God, may we feel the essence of your presence as we've been feeling it, Lord. May we be inspired to worship. Bless this Word, bless the one who gives it, Lord, and inspire those who listen. Help us, Lord, to recognize the times we're living in, Lord, and to live according to your word. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask. Perilous times. And you can agree with me that we indeed living in those times. All we have to do is look across our land, watch the television every night, and sometimes you get frustrated at the, the news, the constant battle that goes on. 
between lie and truth. The constant battle that goes on to survive what goes on in this life. But even though there are perilous times, we can rest assured that there's deliverance and hope and um, victory ahead. Amen. You've probably heard the old joke about the fellow who was sold. Cheer up. Things could be worse. So he said, I did as I was told. I cheered up. And sure enough, things got worse. Well, you know, when someone uses that phrase, they actually tell you, cheer up, man. It could be worse. So, so just, just, just know that there's somebody out there that is probably in a, in a worse situation than you. Yeah, for sure. So when somebody says cheer up, you kind of know what they're saying. Yeah. So you cheer up, but instead of getting better, it's worse. So that in a nutshell is the message of Second Timothy. The Apostle Paul writing from a prison cell in Rome, knowing that his own death was at hand, warns his young protege Timothy of difficult days to come. Although he never loses his faith in God, it is clear that the, the aged apostle was deeply concerned about the trends he saw all around him. Are you concerned about what you see around me today as a believer? Our times are coming. Days of stress were just around the corner. If a man was not ready, if he didn't embrace himself in advance, he might be washed away when things got really hot. Verse 1 is really the key to this old chapter. So the Apostle Paul was saying, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Two questions come to mind. First, what does Paul mean by the expression last day? That phrase at least has at least three meanings in my mind. It can apply to the entire period between the first and second coming of Jesus, since Jesus could have come at any time. The entire church age can be called the last days. It also applies to, unique, to the unique periods of spiritual testing that occur at different times in different places. Finally, it, is, it obviously applies to the last few weeks and months and years preceding our Lord's return to her. I find it helpful to think in terms of labor pain. A pregnant woman knows when she's about to give birth by the frequency and severity of her labor pain. In the same way, the various things that Paul lists in verse, in the first few verses of Second Timothy will always be present in some form 
but will increase dramatically near the end of the age. Are we in the last days? No matter how you define it, the answer is yes. And we may indeed be living in the final days before the return of Jesus to her. Second, what will the last days be like? The word translate term occurs only here and one other place in the New Testament. If in, in, in its other occurrence, it refers to the two different to the two violent men who were possessed by demons in the region of Gadira in Matthew twenty eight in Matthew eight twenty eight. There were wild and uncontrollable men who lived among the tombs. This particular Greek word used to describe them is also used in Second Timothy three and one. The last day will be fierce, violent, dangerous, and frightening. Here's another word you could use in the last days. Savage times will come as men cast off all moral restraints and society begins to disintegrate. So Paul warns Timothy, after I am born, things are going to get worse yeah. before they get better. Yeah. He was saying to Timothy, buck up, Timothy. Terrible times are coming. I say to us today, buckle up. It's here and it's going to get worse. That's why Paul said, mark this or understand this or pay attention to this. Don't be naive and think that everything is going to be okay. It's not all going to be okay. But to be forewarned is to be forearmed. If we know what is going to happen, we won't be surprised when it does. Verses 1 through 5 gives the old catalog of corruption. In verse 5, in the first five verses of 2 Timothy 3, also a sovereign catalog of corruption. In a sense, this is a shorter version of Romans 1, 18 to 32. This is what happens when a nation turns its back on God. First, there's a total rejection of God. Sin is a reproach to any people. But righteousness Exhaust the nation. People are unholy, ungrateful, lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Notice the man who is rich. Listen carefully and watch carefully. Is is his mode? It's not about you. It's always about him. Yeah. A little bit more and a little bit more. Yeah. 
And this leads to a total moral collapse. People become lovers of money, conceited, without love towards others, boastful, proud, unforgiving, conceited, not lovers of what is good. Finally, there's a total breakdown of society. People will be treacherous, rash, slanderous, brutal and disobedient, comparing, abusive, and without self-control. That last phase means that in the end, every, anything goes. No rules, no moral absolute, no restraints of any kind. Every man does what that which is right in his own eyes. And woe to the person who dares to question his lifestyle. Of choices. And just notice this side note. It is interesting that Paul includes disobedience to parents. It may seem too trivial to be in such a solemn list. But for Paul, disobedience is a spark that ignites the flame and leaves the home in ashes. It is any wonder that divorce has become a commonplace. That many people want to redefine marriage to allow for homosexuals to marry each other. Answer, no, it is not surprising that we haven't reached the bottom of the peak of morality. In the light of Bible prophecy, we should expect that as we approach the end times, all these things will increase intensely, intensify frequency. Until we, have, until we have the situation portrayed in the book of Revelation, the total implosion of the social order as man, as men utterly rebel against God and destroy themselves and the world in the process. Perhaps this is why Jesus said that unless those days are shortened, no one will survive. But we have gone to the bad news yet. That comes in verse 5. Here it is. Having a fall of godliness, but denying its power. Having a fall of godliness, but denying its power. In verse 5, Paul says, have nothing to do with that. The word call means something like having the outward appearance of God. That is in the last days as men turn away from God. They will become, listen to this, more religious, not less. Religion will become more popular as we approach the end time because people will seek some refuge in a world that increasingly has lost its way. They will ask the right questions, but will follow the wrong answers. It will, be, it will be religion for religion's sake, not religion for the sake of knowing Christ. They, listen to this. They will join the church or some other religious organization. They will be, they will be baptized, attend services, but their hearts 
will not be in it. They will deny the very power they profess to believe in. In particular, they will embrace a kind of postmodern religion that allows them to do anything, believe anything, endorse anything, live any way they choose as long as it makes them happy. Parallel signs, my friends. They will speak things, they will say things like, we don't need to be bound by the outdated rules of the Bible. Those were written 2,000 years ago and don't, and don't apply to us today. That's not far-fetched. You can say, say, you can say things like that today and be elected a bishop in some denomination. Hallelujah. Parallel stands, my church. Notice how Paul says we are to respond to these false religious leaders. He says, I have nothing to do with them. Verse 5. That's clear, isn't it? It's also, and then they'll say, it's also judgmental, narrow-minded, rude, unkind, unfair in the eyes of many, and the host of other things that are not politically correct today. But the word of the Lord remains. We are to have nothing to do with religious people who do not believe the Bible and do not accept the authority over every year of their lives. Such people are religious but lost. From time to time we are approached by nice people. Have you ever approached by some nice people? Wondering why we won't join in their activities. Oh, they say, you're selfish. You won't join with us. You want me to get saved? So why you don't join in my in my ungodly activities? These are nice people who wish we would join hands with them and sing Kumbaya and leave all the Jesus stuff alone so we won't make anyone feel uncomfortable. Men must feel uncomfortable when the word of God is preached. Our life by walking with Jesus must make them feel uncomfortable. Nice people. There are two answers we give. First, we must work side by side and understand the true believers in Jesus who worship the as Savior and Lord and who accept the Bible as the unquestioned word of God. We must fellowship and work together in many ways with believers all the time. And all the time we do it. We have done it. And we like it. And we must continue to do it. Believers who trust the word of God. But we should not join hands with those who deny that Jesus is the holy way to heaven. Who are not born again. Who do not, who do not accept the Bible. Who do not preach salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ. Who do not put the Bible above the shifting tide of public opinion. Oh, praise God. To be frank about it, we just don't have anything in common with theological liberals. Hallelujah. And verses 6 and 9 condemns apostate leaders. 
verses 6 and 9 describes how these false teachers spread their insidious spiritual venom. First, they pray and weep. And pray and weep people. They are kind. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control of a weak-willed woman who are loaded down with sin and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learn but never able to acknowledge the truth. In 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 7, the Greek, the Greek term for a weak-willed woman can also be translated as something like silly or unstable. It certainly does not describe all women, but rather a certain class of women who are unusually gullible. They carry a load of guilt, a guilt for sin, and they let their sinful desires get them in all, into all sorts of bad situations. The principle applies generally to all those who are easily led and easily confused. Second, these false teachers are nothing new. When Paul mentions Janice and Jamres in verse 8, he's referring to the Jewish tradition that named these two men as leaders of the Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses in the book of Exodus. And how did they oppose him by counterfeiting or duplicating from the early plagues? For instance, when Moses turned the rivers into blood and called for the plague, of props, the magicians did the same thing. This suggests to me that in the last days, there will be some spiritual leaders who are so in touch with demons that they will somehow counterfeit or duplicate the miracles of God. And millions will believe their deception. Perhaps it is no coincidence that Paul used a word for every time that was also elsewhere demonized individuals. Certainly, there will be an outbreak of demonism. In the last days leading up to the return of Christ to establish his kingdom on earth, the greater point is the false teachers of Paul's day and the false teachers of our days and the false teachers of the final days are all cut from the same cloth. They're the same things. Form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They're cut from the same cloth. They have been around a long time, my friends, false teachers. Third, they are successfully limited and temporary. They won't be around forever because God will make it clear whose side he's on. Right. Just as the waters that parted for Moses also drowned the Egyptians, even so, the hand of God that saves his children yes. will come down and crush in judgment on the false teachers. Yes. Jesus is coming soon, my friend. He will take care of us in these perilous times. So let us hold on and trust him. For holy one life will soon be passed. Yeah. Holy watch God for Christ to last. So hold on in these perilous times. 
Hallelujah. Just a little while longer. Hold on, church. Yes, we're in perilous times. We see them all around us. We hear them all around us. But Jesus is coming soon. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let me tell you, my friends, there are some survival strategies that we can use. I'm going to say if I could point out three of them quick. If this is what we have to look forward to, and it is, how then should we live? How will we survive the savage days that are coming our way? Verse 10 emphasizes that Christians are called to be different. Yes. Timothy, you are called by God to make a difference yes. by standing strong. Don't be discouraged by world conditions. Don't let the world change you. Instead, go out and by God's grace, change the world. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. The last part of this chapter suggests Three very practical survival strategies for the perilous, difficult, dangerous days which we are living in. Hey, follow godly leaders. Uh, the son of school has something to talk a little bit about that this morning. Follow godly leaders. This principle is based on the truth. That we become like the people we are associated with. If we follow the ungodly, we will become like the ungodly. If we follow the arrogant, we are likely to become arrogant. If we follow those who follow Jesus, we are more likely to become like Jesus ourselves. Oh, may we sing the song. More about Jesus, I would know. More of his saving fullness, more of his love who died for me. More, more about Jesus. He is who I want in this perilous day. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God. Hallelujah. In this case, Paul uses himself as an example and says, in effect, follow me as I follow Christ. These are the marks of the godly people we should follow. They have nothing to hide. You know my way of life. They teach the truth. You know my doctrine. They practice what they preach. You know my faith by my love and patience. They are afraid of persecution. You know my sufferings and my persecutions. Paul, Paul points. Paul points it. Find people, hear me, church. Find people like this and follow them. Yes. Regarding persecution, he points his own sufferings. In Antioch, he was opposed. In Iconium, he was almost stoned. In Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead. But it does not matter because everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, oh, uh, 
Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 12, what happens to Paul? What happens to Timothy soon or later? What is happening around the world to Christians in Sudan, parts of China, and in Russia, in Iran, in many of the Muslim countries will happen to those of us who live in this country and serve Jesus. No one gets a free pass that absolves them from suffering for Jesus. It may not involve it may not involve beatings or torture or torture or imprisonment or it may involve suffered forms of ridicule, public embarrassment, being made the butt of repeated jokes, possible promotion, social rejection, shunning and being the object of scorn and vicious rumors, and being oppressed in the name of Jesus. That sort of thing happens all too often. When it happens, it's a true form of persecution, even though. It leaves no outward. So thank God. Church of God, watch out for those jugglers in the first century. Jugglers were often often traveling con men, like those fellows who run three card monte. We see on the corners of our street. They claim to be running honest games. Everything is rigged against you. The world is filled with religious fraud. We want more than your money. We want our soul. Let's be aware. Then Paul says this. Continue what? Continue in what we have learned. He says, verses 14 and 15, the second strategy is extremely practical. Stay the course. Don't be distracted by clever sounding religious officers. Don't believe everyone who knocks at your door. They begin by inviting you to Bible studies that seem innocent enough. Soon that Bible study becomes an invitation to a religious system that mm-hmm. utilizes high pressure manipulation to keep everyone alive. What seems so awesome turns out to be very unhealthy and potentially extreme and dangerous. The point, people like that can be found everywhere. The way to resist them is to continue what you have been taught. Hallelujah. Paul then begins to develop the heart of the survival strategy for the last days. Of a proper understanding, listen, church, of the word of God. In verse 14, Paul reminds Timothy that the word of God gives confidence in the days of difficulty. It steadies, it steadies the soul by giving us the absolute standard for truth. So Timothy is reminded both to, to remember both what he has learned and also who taught him the truth. Consider your teachers. Hallelujah. Ponder your character. Think of your sacrifice. That will keep you on the straight and narrow. When you are tempted to turn to one side or another, in verse 15, he reminds Timothy of his spiritual heritage 
Don't forget your spiritual heritage. Remember what mama taught you down yonder. What dad taught you down yonder. Listen to those prayers. Remember those prayers that mommy prayed for you while you were lying in your bed. Oh, oh praise God. Don't forget where you came from who laid the foundation. Praise God. And hear what he says. And how from your infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the doctrine of the sufficiency of holy scripture. Notice how Paul puts it. The Bible brings wisdom that leads to salvation, that comes to us to Christ, who is received by faith. Said in the way, God works saves us. By the words that are written down, by the wisdom in the written words, able to make you wise. By the gospel, the words produces to faith in Christ. Everything we need to know about going to heaven can be found in this book. Nothing is and nothing needs to be added. The Bible is not an encyclopedia, I think, that covers every possible topic in the universe, but it does tell us everything we need to know about the most important thing in the world. How to know God. The truth of the Word of God can save you, forgive you, justify you, sanctify you, purify you, transform you, regenerate you, and one day it will take you all the way home to heaven for all eternity. The Word of God is powerful. It is quick. Come on, church, we don't need to lay down and play there. The word of God stands. Heaven and earth will pass away, but this word stands forever. Hallelujah. Praise God. It will stand. Everything we need is the Bible. Oh, praise God. The Bible is complete as it stands. A finished product. That will a new life, a godly life, a growing life, a fruitful life, a loving life, a Christ life, a Christ like life, eternal life, the very life of God Himself. Oh, Jesus said the word that I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. Oh, praise God. And I want you to notice something here. That's ready to close. When Timothy learned this, how from infancy, Paul reminded him, you have known. That's a reference to his godly grandmother, Lawrence, and his godly mother, Eunice. They started teaching him the truth when he was just a tiny baby. They prayed for him, sang to him, recited scripture to him, taught him reading the whole testament to him and built his own life around the word of God. God bless those godly women. I believe the best time, listen to me, church, let me tell you something. I believe the best time to start teaching your children 
is while they are still in the womb. Oh, Jeremiah says, verse 1 and 5, oh, praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I gave you prophets to the nations. Oh, praise God. Teach your children from the womb. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. Teach them from the womb. The word of God. I believe, oh, hallelujah. That's the best time to start. Expectant mothers should read, listen to me, should read the Bible to their preborn babies. Yes, read the Bible to them. Uh, start while they are inside you. Read the word and sing and song to them. Pray for your unborn child. Why should we let the world take the first shot at our children? Let's start teaching them before they have a chance to listen to TV or the radio or before they start surfacing the Internet. Immense them in the world while they're still swimming in the womb. And don't stop when they are born. Kick it up a notch. And the pastors are filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Jesus, Jesus. Yes. Why should we... Why shouldn't we pray the same thing for our children today? We must spend time with our children. Sing Christian songs to your tiny babies, babies, and quote scriptures while you're changing diapers. Who knows what they think in the impression of the minds of the very young? Start when they're infants. So they will know the word from the very beginning. You never know what difference it makes years from now. The word of God is the foundation for Jesus. Jesus. Yes, Teach your children, my friends. You never know. I had a powerful. Testimony when I retired and decided to come down the side to this. My daughter had a had a, um, a retirement party for me. And this thing brought tears to my heart. She got up the night when she was about to talk and she said, I'm gonna tell you something, church. I always wanted to be like my daddy. And I, 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 I never really knew that. She never said that to me before. She said, I heard him preach, and I wanted to preach like my daddy. And I wanted to talk like my daddy. And just talk like my daddy. And she said, because he taught me well. I'm not saying it's the most. I just thank God. And somehow... This little fellow that Jesus saved had an impact on my daughter's life. Praise God today. I think they're getting ready to set up for the ministry in the church. And I said to her, she told me that I said, I'm going to tell you something, child. With all the studying you do, 
And all the knowledge that you have. Don't ever forget the anointing of God. It will make the difference. It will make the difference. So I say that teach your children the word of God. Don't let up. Don't let up. Teach them the word of God. Sing them Christian names. Oh, hallelujah. Sing them Christians. And if you if you have to celebrate Christmas and talk about Santa Claus. That's all right, but let them know. Let them know that there's nobody dropping a gift down the chimney. But Daniel now. Let them know the real purpose of the celebration of Santa Claus, if you have to. And the person behind That's, that's lifestyle. Jesus Christ, the Word. I say to the church this afternoon, let the Word of God make you complete. Let it make you complete. Let it make you complete. The perilous times are here. And we'll hold this time buy this book. Can I suggest something to us? Let us put the word of God. It's okay to pray, and yes, we should pray without ceasing. But get into the word. Let it saturate your life. Let it fill you with power and grace. Oh, hallelujah. The Bible says it is God's inspiration. And it is, it is profitable for correction and for instruction until the man of God be what? Be what? Be thoroughly equipped. For have what? For heavy good work. Oh, praise God. I'm hoping to that. But listen to me, church. Even though there's perilous times, we have what it takes to survive. Amen. We have. Jesus and the Word. Amen. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Isaac says in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word was what? Made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory, the glory of the only Father, Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. 
thank God this morning for his precious word. Let us stand. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus, my Lord, to thee I cry. Oh, let's stand in the word. Psalm says, standing on the promises. This is the promises of Christ, my Lord. To eternal ages, let his praises reign. Standing on the promises of God. Yes, we can stand in these perilous times. Dangerous of the heart. Just to say, here's our hunger. Here's our hunger. The word. Father, we want to thank you this morning. One more time for delivering us from the evils of this world. Oh, God, we want to thank you for delivering us from the evils of this world. Oh, we appreciate you, Lord, and we thank you for the privilege we have to know you as our Savior, as our Lord. We don't boast in anything, Lord, save in the death of Christ our Lord. For all the vain things that charms us most, we sacrifice them to thy throne. Lord, for when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I comfort loss and poor content. And all my pride. Lord, we thank you for this day and we ask that you come in the blessing. And above all, Lord, in these perilous times, help us to stand on your word. 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 Help us, Lord, not to compromise. Oh, but to stand for your word. Not to bow bow down to the evils of our apostate leaders of these times, but to stand firm on the word of God. Oh God, thank God for our lives and inspire us with your word this week. In the precious name of your dear son, we ask it. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org. Or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.